Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Hey, everyone. Uh, we are here at CES, and I am with Stuart Pfeffer of Reality AI and Brady Tsai of Kuito. Um, Stuart and Brady, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Hi. Hi. Uh, it's great to have you guys here, um, and thanks for braving the uh, driving rain and horrendous traffic at CES to, <laughs> to make it here. It is a phenomenon, that's for sure. It is definitely a spectacle. Um, why don't we get started by uh, having the two of you guys introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to what you're up to nowadays. Yeah, sure. So uh, yeah, I'm Stuart Pfeffer and I'm a co-founder and CEO of Reality AI. And uh, we're an AI startup. I'm sure you have a lot of them on these, these podcasts. <laughs> um, and uh, our, our focus is a little different than most, I think. We are very much focused on problems related to sensors and signals. Okay. And um, we're not deep learning. Um, we, are, we use a different set of approaches that are very much grounded in signal processing math. Okay. And I'm sure we'll talk about that some. Uh, we're here at CES with uh, one of our customers, uh, Coito, uh, also known in the United States as North American Lighting. Okay. And um, they're making a product announcement that features our technology. Nice. Um, Brady? Hi, I'm Brady. Um, I'm business development manager with uh, NAL and Coito. Um, I work in a Silicon Valley lab, which okay. is based in San Jose. Um, just to give you a brief introduction of Koido, Koido is a tier one supplier for automotive lighting. And we are the supplier for major OEMs such as like Honda, Toyota, and Ford. Okay. Uh, there's a, a, a product called ADB. Um, that's where we work with Stuart Reality AI, try to bring the AI into automotive lightings. It's called ADP? ADB. Okay. Adaptive driving beam. Adapt ADB, adaptive driving beam. Mm -hmm. And um, tell me a little bit about what's the what's the main idea there? Yeah, go ahead, Brady. Yeah, so adaptive driving beam it's a light, uh, vehicle lighting mechanism where it allows user to have high beam always on. Okay. And in, and but but in order to do that, we don't want to blind the incoming traffic or or the traffic in front of you. So. Um, you know that now that um, all the headlights and taillights are are based on LEDs, uh -huh. um, that allows us to um, to turn on and off a, a section of our headlights. Um, okay. And and in in order to to know which section to shut off, we have to first to be able to detect the vehicle in front of us. Oh, interesting. And that's where AI technology comes in. What uh, what sensors do you assume uh, or require on the vehicle in order to be able to do that? Do you? I'm, I'm imagining if you're, we're talking about technology that's going to be available in the near term, we're not expecting every car to have LiDAR on it. Right. So for ADB purpose, um, we only need cameras. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. And ADB, by the way, it's it's available today, right, Brady? This is a live product. It's on the road in Japan and... Um, Yes, yes, it's been it's been widely used in Japan, also in Europe, 
um, and it's coming to North America in, in a very short period of time. Yeah. Okay. So what we've been doing, uh, what we've been showing today at starting today at CES is the next generation of ADB. Okay. Um, the existing iteration is based more on you know traditional machine vision techniques, mm -hmm. and um, which is great. Um, it works pretty well, but it is prone to some false positives. Mm -hmm. And um, the idea here is to use uh, 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 AI to reduce the false positive rate so that the, uh, you know, it's, it, you gotta be able to tell the difference between a headlight and a stoplight mm -hmm. or uh, you know, a bright vending machine that's not a truck, mm -hmm. you know, that type of thing. So the idea is to refine the prediction and uh, deliver a more accurate prediction. Okay. Uh, what using is it, uh, machine learning. And what is it about the traditional techniques that lends itself to the false positives? Well, you know, traditional machine vision techniques and without getting into the specifics of what Coito's current product does, because mm -hmm. we can't really do that. But, mm -hmm. you know, these kind of traditional machine vision like template matching. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're very good in constrained environments mm -hmm. where you don't have a great deal of variation in target and background. That's when they tend to perform best. Okay. Right. So pattern matching machine vision techniques are great, say, on an assembly line where you're right. doing quality control. Yeah. But out in that dynamic real world, right, where you have a lot more variation both in your target and in the background against which you're trying to separate that target. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, you start to come up against the limitations of the technique. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the main constraints here, though, is you know we're not talking about an autonomous vehicle necessarily. Right. right. This is a this is a product that's going to go on regular cars yeah. starting in you know, well, they're available, as I said, as, as Brady was saying, they're available in Japan and Europe today. Right. And in the United States in 2019 or 2020, something like that. Okay. So um, it's got to fit within a certain price point. Right. Right. You can't have an expensive processing brick just turning the high beams on and off. <laughs> Doesn't work as a product. Right. So the, the challenging bit here is not just accomplishing the detection using machine learning and suppressing mm -hmm. false positives where you need false positives suppressed. The real challenge is doing that and then delivering that prediction in a form that can run on cheap hardware that meets the price point requirements of the product. And this is cheap hardware that is presumably mounted you know, within the lens, within the... The, uh, light the headlight device. assembly, right? Yeah. yeah, inside the headlight assembly. That's yeah. exactly right. So mm -hmm. it's got to, uh, you know, it, and it's got to. It, it, you can't make the car too much more expensive, right? You can make it only as more expensive as people perceive value in being able to turn their high beams on and off automatically. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, you know, here, okay, we're doing more than just turning high beams on and off automatically, right? As right. Brady was saying, right. we're actually tracking vehicles, leaving the high beams always on, and tracking that vehicle. Um, that's in front of you or that's oncoming as it moves across the field of vision so mm -hmm. that he's selectively blocked out. Mm -hmm. But you can still see animals, pedestrians, or other right. things that are peripheral to that car. Yes. Yeah, um, so this is resonating really strongly with me because I, you know, while I'm, you know, normally live in a city environment, over the holidays, I was in a more rural environment and made frequent use of the high beams. Yeah. And, uh, when you depend on the high beams and then you turn them off because there's oncoming traffic, like it's like, what, where am I? It's like, it's totally dark. And so I can relate to, you know, wanting to just, and you know, A, 
you know, as cars get more complex, they're going to have more knobs and stuff. And, sure. you know, one less thing to worry about would be great. But, um, you know, there's, you know, if you can have, uh, you can offer me, you know, visibility into kind of my field of view, um, even while oncoming cars are uh, approaching, that sounds like a, uh, a great proposition and one that will increase safety. You know, tell me a little bit about some of the technology that goes into making this happen. Yeah, sure. So the, uh, you know, on the sensing side, which is our contribution, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Coedo, North American Lighting, they're the headlight experts. And in terms of controlling the beam and shaping the beam and figuring out exactly how to adapt the beam to the driving patterns, that's their area of expertise for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, our area of expertise is sensing the car in front mm-hmm. so that in delivering that location of the car to their control mechanism so that it can appropriately adapt. So it knows where the car is. It can do the calculations it needs to do to figure out what to do with those LEDs. So you give them like a vector of angles and distances, for example? Basically, you know, we're delivering, it's very similar to what you would see in an ADAS system, the uh, sort of collision avoidance system for autonomous vehicles, where, you know, you see bounding boxes on cars, pedestrians, that kind of thing. It's a very similar sort of output. Okay. So that's that's what uh, that's 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 our contribution to this is the mm-hmm. sensing piece, and um, I think you know I mentioned in the introduction, reality AI, our approach to machine learning is a little different. Right, mm-hmm. we, we're not using deep learning. Deep learning, unfortunately, would probably require more compute power than we can afford mm-hmm. on that, you know, on that uh, control unit. Um, Even on the inference side alone. Yeah, mm. yeah. So. Um, our approach in general to machine learning is we spend a lot of energy on the feature engineering. Mm-hmm. And um, we, uh, we we take a signal processing-based approach, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a process that will, you know, looks through a two, three hundred different feature types and mm-hmm. computes each of them, tests them, and predicts which one's going to be best for any given situation. And what are the the sensors that you have available? I'm assuming you don't have access to vehicle sensors. It's only the sensors in the headlight assembly. And this is maybe a camera or are there other Well, in this sensors? case, we're working with a camera. Okay. I mean, it's certainly conceivable that in the future, other sensors might be in play. Okay. But at the moment, uh, it's purely camera-based. Okay. And uh, But our technology is not camera Specific. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, you know, I would, if, if I'm going to be candid, I would actually say image-based things is probably our weakest, mm. um, uh, our, our weakest area. Mm-hmm. In image-based things, where we tend to be strongest is in uh, problems that could be reduced to a question of texture. Mm-hmm. So, if you're doing object recognition, right, right. you want to know um, that thing over there is that uh, a pedestrian or a person on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Right, that's a good deep learning problem. Object recognition, yeah. deep learning is good at that, yeah. and it requires compute, but it can do it. Right. Um, our stuff tends to work much better on texture-based problems. Okay. And in fact, that's the way in which we we approach this with the uh, the di- with the headlight detection and the false positive suppression mm-hmm. is looking at spatial relationships between pixels of different colors inside of a decision window. Okay. Right. It's just a different way of going about it. Now, the fact is, our stuff is much more widely used. I mean, we do we do some things with images that are texture based, mm-hmm. but sound, vibration, accelerometry, electrical signals, those are um, those are really a, a sweeter spot for us mm-hmm. most of the time. 
And uh, we are um, getting ready to launch a couple of things with Coido that will involve other types of sensors beyond cameras as well. Okay. Different kind of product, different kind of use. And when you say your stuff, what what uh, what are we talking about here? Is it um, you know some hardware that goes in the headlight assembly? Is it some algorithms? Is it IP? Is it services? Sure. So the head the headlight is Coito's product. Yep. Um, what what Reality AI offers is a tool for the R and D engineer okay. to create that product. Okay. So by our stuff, what I mean is the algorithms and the application that allows an engineer to use those algorithms, mm -hmm. to expose the algorithms to data and generate detection code, which can then be either hung in the cloud if it's a cloud-based application or mm -hmm. pulled, pulled out of, the, of, of that cloud-based environment, pulled into the IDE for an embedded environment and mm -hmm. then run mm -hmm. in the embedded target. Okay. Which is how... We don't plans to use this. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe tell me a little bit about the, is, what can you tell me about kind of the experience of your engineers um, working with uh, this technology? Do your, I'm imagining that your engineers don't typically have machine learning and AI expertise or am I, am I wrong about that? Right. So, so as a lighting company, um, most of our effort is on optics and mechanical and how to, control the heat in the headlights. Mm -hmm. So we are not <laughs> experienced in, in putting sensors or or more like more computing embedded system into our headlamps. So we're quite excited to be able to work with reality AI mm -hmm. and then try to find possibility to put um, uh, sensors into headlamps and, and try to make it a, a smarter headlights and rear lights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the the platform, do you refer to it as a platform or a toolkit or? Yeah, we call it a toolkit or an application even. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like an SDK that's got some built-in, like how, do, how is the... Think of it as a code generation application. Okay. Right? So there's, you know, this is a podcast, so I can't pull up a demonstration yeah. here, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, think of this as a, a tool set where you can provide examples of what you're looking for. Um, in the case of uh, what we're doing with Coito, what those are, you know, here are images where this is, this over here is a, uh, the, the taillight of a car mm -hmm. that we're following and we want to block out. Mm -hmm. We don't want to, we don't want to blind over right next to it over there. That's a, that's a reflection of, off of a stop sign. Mm -hmm. So that's a counter example, right? Don't count that as a headlight. Yeah. That red light off in the distance, that's a stop light. Don't count that either. Okay. Right. So that that's our input. We have snippets of images mm -hmm. taken by the camera, mm -hmm. and um, with uh, some labels on them that tell us tell tell us what they are. In our application, we can load it with ex these examples, mm -hmm. and um, run first a process we call AI Explore. Okay. What AI an AI Explore does the feature engineering. It's a machine learning driven process. Sort of, you could almost think of it as an expert system, but it isn't really. Mm -hmm. um, but it, what it will do is go through and try to identify an optimized feature set, mm -hmm. which can then be uh, exposed to a machine learning algorithm, which is, you know, could be an SVM, could be a neural network. Uh, uh, we pick, we can pick, we can pick that based on 
what's the most appropriate form of output for okay. what, what, what the, the customer, what, what Coelho needs for their technical mm -hmm. requirements for the product. But, you know, I mean, your audience is all about machine learning and AI. So I'm sure you're, you know, you and they know that when you have the right feature set, your right. choice of algorithm becomes much less important. Mm -hmm. right? If you have good, really solid features that separate the, that, that give you a good separation between classes, well, heck, almost any algorithm will right. find what you're looking for. Right. 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 So, you know, that's really what the point of our application is, is to do that feature engineering and identify the most optimized features possible mm -hmm. such that we can then use the lightest touch machine learning possible and therefore deliver prediction code that is as compact and computationally efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. To what extent do the features that, um, that this tool spits out you know, they, do they tend to be kind of intuitive features versus, you know, kind of artificial features, just kind of mathematical combinations of the inputs that don't really have any intuitive interpretation? Most of the time, it's the latter. The latter? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, look, by the time someone gets to us, if it's a sound problem, for example, yeah. or a vibration problem, um, by the time a customer gets to us, their engineers have already tried an FFT yeah. and put that into a neural net to see what would happen. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if it was a problem that was that easy to solve, they wouldn't be calling us in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, look, our algorithm will check an FFT just to be in, you know, a couple of different flavors and a couple of different varieties to it just to make, just for completeness sake. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, we're going to need to carve, we're going to need to carve up that feature space in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And how, how do you, how do you do that? Well, you know, we, we use, we use mathematics you'd find in the literature under sparse coding Compressive okay. sensing, that type of thing. And what what is uh, what are those things? What's sparse coding? What's compressive sensing? Well, you know, you, I guess what what we're doing is you could think of us as carving up time frequency in a much more complex way than mm -hmm. an FFT, which is just using bands. Mm -hmm. And so it can be very responsive to things like transients and phase. And um, you know those kinds of phenomena. Now, in the image kinds of problems, like like we're dealing with here with ADB, mm -hmm. that stuff isn't relevant. Um, but it turns out when we use these same mathematics on images, uh, what that basically translates to is a, a texture kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. And um, we find we tend to be good at finding textures and discontinuities in textures. But uh, that's sort of a, a side. It's a, it's a side usage, which turns out to be very useful in certain cases, like with ADB. Mm -hmm. But um, our, pr our primary focus is more in that vibration, um, electrical signal, okay. sound, uh, um, LIDAR even. And so in the past, when I've talked to folks who have are taking similar approaches to kind of automating feature engineering, there's... Um, you know, there's often a lot of like Monte Carlo type simulations and that kind of thing. Do you do that kind of stuff as well? Yeah, not so much. I mean, we'll basically judge which one, which feature set is the best mm -hmm. um, on the basis that we'll take. Uh, we'll basically with with one, with feature sets that look promising according to their to our algorithm. Mm -hmm. We train a quick machine learning model on a subset of the uh, on a subset of the training data. Mm -hmm. Do a quick k-fold analysis. And we rank them on the basis of their performance under that K-fold. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty straightforward accuracy-based ranking. Okay. Um, the other thing we, we do is we do generate a 
relative measure of the complexity of the feature computation. Because again, our customers are by and large coming to us because they intend to deploy to an embedded target where uh, compute is going to be a limited resource, mm -hmm. either cycles or memory. Mm -hmm. And um, so we'll give them a relative ranking of, you know, you know, if it's green and the bar is hardly filled in, well, you can probably fit it on a Cortex M, M3, M4, mm -hmm. right? But if it's the, if it's almost the bar is almost filled up and it's turned red, well, you're probably going to need server grade hardware to execute that particular model. Mm -hmm. And we basically make that an engineering choice. Now, you right. know, the engineer who's using this stuff can trade off um, computational complexity for accuracy in some cases. Hmm. I guess I'm trying to wrap my head around like the, so we get the, the problem. The problem is you've got limited computational capacity in, in a lot of these environments. And as exciting as deep learning is, it requires a, a significant yeah. compute capability, even for the inference. Uh, but deep learning is exciting because it, you don't have to do feature engineering. Right, so absolutely. if you want to go the other way, you got to do some feature engineering which is difficult manually. You guys automate it. Um, I'm trying to uh, wrap my head around kind of the next level of detail, which is like, if I wanted to, you know, if I wanted to build something like this, like, you know, what, what are the things that I should be thinking of as a, you know, data scientist or engineer, you know, if I wanted to, you know, if I needed to build my own kind of automated feature engineering pipeline, like understanding that there's proprietary IP and yeah, secret yeah, yeah, sauce sure. and all that. Like sure. what are the, the things that I should be thinking about? Okay, well, so the first case, <clears throat> the first thing I would say is that, um, you know, features are, domain specific isn't quite the right word. That's not mm -hmm. what I'm going for. But so the, the, the particular- classes of them or something like that? Yeah, so, you know, our approach, the, the kinds of features we're, we're going to try Mm -hmm. from soup to nuts mm -hmm. are going to be the kinds of features that are relevant when you're talking about a, an, a, an input you could think of as a waveform in some way. Yep. Right. And those kinds of features are going to be completely different than the kinds of features you would use if, um, you know, you're looking at business records of some sort. Sure. Right. Obviously. Mm -hmm. But even with, with sound, the kinds of features we're looking at are not going to be the same kinds of features you're going to want to use if you're building a competitor to uh, Amazon Echo or Siri or OK mm -hmm. Google, right? Where the problem is natural language recognition. Mm -hmm. Our stuff isn't actually, the, the kinds of features we employ aren't actually very good at language mm -hmm. recognition at all, but it's really good at machine hums. Ah, okay. Okay. So you're doing, you probably have like, you're... you're kind of doing different types of FFTs, different types of windows. Yeah, except again, we're not really using, we don't, we, we check FFTs maybe, for completeness sake. Right, right, right. We're more likely to be using sparse coding, compressive sensing, and other okay. kinds of more complex feature sets. Okay. You know. uh, I think it's clicking. So you've got, so there's some set of algorithms that are particularly good at identifying, you know, either frequency components or something like that, you know, in this type of Transient signal. Transient phase, frequency, yeah, that kind okay. of thing. Okay, okay. And so you, you're just kind of sweeping across those with different parameters and, you know, maybe there's some kind of grid searching or something like that that you're doing or randomized searching. Something like that. Or something like yeah. that in there. Yeah, okay. something that, you know, it, it's, it's guided, but there's, uh -huh. still, there's still a fair amount of, we're going we're gonna to try a spectrum of things. Yeah. 
And, you know, we try a spectrum of things. And when we find a family of features that's promising, the Mm -hmm. algorithm will dive in and do more exploration Mm -hmm. within that promising family. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah, you kind of have the idea. Mm -hmm. And what's the, uh, like, what's the origin of the kind of the company and the product? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, you know, where this stuff really came from is really the other co-founder, truthfully. Right. So I'm the, I'm the, I'm the business guy. My background's Wall Street. Um, I've spent just enough time in, you know, math and, physics and that type of thing to be able to follow along. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the real genesis of this uh, came from our other co-founder, Jeff mm-hmm. Seraki. And okay. uh, Jeff's our CTO. Okay. Uh, turns out he's been my best friend since we were 13 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. But uh, for the last, uh, the, for, I guess, 10, 12 years or so before mm-hmm. we started Reality AI, uh, Jeff was doing contract R&D for U.S. federal government customers okay. in military and intelligence community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, always in this area of applying this new field of machine learning mm-hmm. to complex signal processing, signal recognition problems, mm-hmm. surveillance, target acquisition, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, during that, developed a fairly comprehensive body of IP. We have 10 patents awarded, six patents pending, mm-hmm. most of which come from that period. Okay. Um, and um, But that's really where the expertise for this came from. And uh, a couple of years ago when we decided to create Reality AI, we took all of that IP out of the contracting entity mm-hmm. that he had used for the those federal government customers. Everything that wasn't classified wasn't subject to export control because mm-hmm. we don't want that headache. Mm-hmm. Um, but anything that could be freely used commercially, we moved that intellectual property into a new company. We sunsetted the old thing that had been used for the defense contracting. Mm. And um, we created Reality Analytics, Inc., Reality AI, okay. to um, apply this technology commercially. Mm-hmm. We turned that into an application usable by an R&D engineer. Version 1.0 of that came out in June of 2016. Okay. Uh, 2.0 is coming out in just a couple of weeks. Okay. <laughs> and, um, nice. Yeah, and uh, we've been uh, we've been you know adding customers and uh, automotive, probably our number one area right now, mm-hmm. followed very closely by industrial, and we also have a couple of consumer product customers mm-hmm. that are doing interesting things. And so for industrial, this might be. Uh, um, uh, an industrial machinery supplier who wants to be yeah. able to do predictive maintenance and Got it. you just drop in the algorithms and uh, hum is hum and kind of those kind of, uh, you know, frequency based yeah. vibration, vibration. vibration and occasionally sound. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even some of the automotive customers, by the way, are doing that same kind of thing, but on the vehicle. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, the industrial customers are, it's always, you know, one form or another of, uh, you know, Figuring out when the wing of a jigger needs his thing of a bob replaced. Right, right, right. And um, trying to make it, uh, you know, it's come up called the, the machine whisperer. There's always like the machine whisperer that knows when it sounds like this, you need to whack it here with a hammer four times or whatever. You got it, you got it. So, you know, our approach commercially there is that we are generally working with the equipment makers. Okay. So that, you know, much like Coito was trying to, who's building the smarts into the headlight, we're working with the, you know, industrial equipment makers, the pump makers, what mm-hmm. have you, to build the smarts into their equipment mm-hmm. as opposed to some kind of aftermarket add-on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I've asked uh, several of the folks that I've talked to uh, today, you know, what kind of things 
have they learned trying to introduce artificial intelligence to consumer products? Um, and you know, universally, the the answer has a lot to do with the the user experience and you know, from the perspective of the compu- the consumer, like they don't really care about AI. And like, this is like yeah. at the far end of that spectrum, nobody, no one who's driving a car yeah. you know, is even going to, even if they know that, you know, Hey, I don't have to turn on my headlights, any, my high beams anymore. You know, this is something that you just want to be invisible to them and just work. Uh, that being said, have you, um, as a company kind of learned anything about um, applying AI in these kind of situations? Uh, well, it's still early days. Right? Yeah, yeah. So we're we're actually looking into possibility of embedding more sensors into headlights for mm-hmm. autonomous driving as well, like such as lidar and radars. And after we like right now, the phone factor of lidar is just too big to yeah. put into the to the to the lightings. Um, but we're waiting for that size to shrink into a reasonable size so that we can put it into the headlights. Um, and is the idea there that, um, you know, just that Coito would be, would become a sensor provider to the OEM in addition to a lighting provider, or is it somehow tied to, to lighting and the delivery of lighting? Uh, that I can't disclose that part <laughs> yet, but, but we are looking into that kind of a possibility. Okay. And also, um, the possibility of doing some kind of an edge computing in, okay. in headlights for autonomous driving. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the cool thing about what Coito is doing here, right, is that because they provide, they're providing the headlights, the taillights, the turn signals, right, that's their market. Mm-hmm. They own strategic real estate on the car. Mm. They have, they have the, the placement on all of the corners, mm-hmm. right? And if you want to place sensors to get a, the best possible field of view around the vehicle, yeah. where are you going to put them? Yeah. Right? Plus, uh, these guys have, you know, I've, I've had, since I've been standing next to them all day at CES in the booth, I've had a chance to hear them hear them pitch. And, uh, you know, put, being able to put these sensors in a form factor where it can stand up to a car wash mm-hmm. and weather. You know, they these guys are expert in in. in creating electronics that are protected from the elements mm-hmm. and still can be, you know, can still see through. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's actually, it's a, it's a, it turns out that as you censor up a car, the real estate that their stuff owns and their ability to deliver it in a form factor that fits with a car's design mm-hmm. that is protected from the elements that can stand up to a power washing or whatever mother nature's going to throw at it. Mm-hmm. That's actually very, very important mm-hmm. and something that, you know, the, the automotive industry looks to be only just beginning to grapple with yeah. as they start to think about the reality of making cars that are instrumented in this way. Right, right. Yeah, I can imagine the, uh, the modularity being, you know, a, a lighting assembly is pretty plug and play relative to, you know, changing out um, something that's kind of built into the the frame of the car or the sheet metal or something right. like that. Like it seems like a, I, I can see how it would be a strategic place to be. Yeah. Is this something that you envision becoming available like as an aftermarket type of thing, or is it, um, you know, primarily you're going to market through the, the OEMs, the manufacturers? Oh, you mean ADB? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I think um, right now in North America, we're just waiting for the regulation to go through. Okay. Um, I think sometime in 2018 or 2019 frame, the regulation will go through, um, mm-hmm. and we can see um, vehicles on the street with ADB in like within two years. Hmm. Yeah. And what's the like? What's the nature of the regulation that is over this? Like the Transportation federal yeah. FTC they, they, has they, to they have to approve everything. Say that these high beams right, work yeah. for yeah. yeah okay yeah, and apparently um, they have this kind of regulation in Japan already. So that's why they you can, if you see vehicle in Japan, they already have ADB embedded in in. This cars. is already on the street and on the street. Yes. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. The what? first versions of ADB are on the street in Japan and Europe today. Huh. Yeah, it's it's interesting how much of this stuff. You know, there's there's a lot of the the stuff in this space, AI in general, that is, um, you know, behind regulation, and then there's still even more of it that's like ahead of regulation. We're never quite just right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a great conversation. Yeah, I mean, any awesome. uh, any final parting words? You know, I I I always uh, I always like to say when we because this is a machine learning audience, right? Yep. Yep. And, um, you know, the, there is so much focus on deep learning for a mm-hmm. lot of good reasons, right? Yep. I mean, deep learning is an incredibly powerful approach yeah. that has made progress on problems where very little progress has been made in a long time before it. Mm-hmm. So I'm certainly not knocking deep learning in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. It's relevant to a very wide class of issues. and um, But it's not the only, it's not the only tool in the toolbox. Right. And there are cases in, as I said, in particular, edge cases where you need real-time prediction at the edge in a product with a price point mm-hmm. that, you know, it may not be the best tool. Mm-hmm. So think broadly about your options as you're trying to solve real That's problems. It. That's it. And, you know, we are, for certain kinds of problems, we are one of those kinds of options. But mm-hmm. I, think the pro- I think the statement is true generally. Cool. Um, we'll, we'll make sure to link to, uh, to both your websites. Um, I'm anxiously awaiting the uh, automated high beams as well as the other <laughs> aspects of the, uh, the smarter car. Uh, thank you both for taking the time to chat. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for your continued feedback and support. Remember, For your chance to win in our AI at home giveaway, head on over to twimlai.com slash myaicontest for complete details. For more information on Stuart, Brady, or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimlai.com slash talk slash 105. Thanks once again to Intel AI for their sponsorship of this series. To learn more about their partnership with Ferrari North America Challenge and the other things they've been up to, visit ai.intel.com. Of course, we'd be delighted to hear from you, either via a comment on the show notes page or via Twitter, directly to me at, at Sam Charrington or to the show at, at Twimmel AI. Thanks once again for listening and catch you next time.